Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. For an athlete to be successful, even if that athlete is LeBron, he needs a team. Same as in business. That's why more small to mid-sized businesses in South Florida are choosing Greenlight Tech, the full-service concierge IT company that always gets it right. Greenlight Tech advises, monitors, supports, and keeps your important data backed up and secure. They will even manage your vendors. Call Greenlight Tech at 561-325-9997. That's 561 561- 325-9997. Mention that Five Reasons sent you and you will get a free assessment. And if you sign up, your first month is also free. Be unstoppable. Visit greenlighttech.com. That's greenlighttek.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome into episode 60 of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick, here as always with Chris Whittingham. Thank you for finding us. We're on iTunes, also Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, all of those other apps, and check out the other podcasts that are in our network. One of the things we've done that's been really popular here on the pod has been a Heat story series, and we've started to talk to people about their days playing for the Heat or coaching the Heat or broadcasting the Heat. We feel like we need to give a little love to the Dolphins. And we're catching up with this guy, Chris, um, as he's living the dad life, uh, waiting for his daughter in a parking lot, which is something that I'm I'm familiar <laughs> with now. So uh, so fill us in, uh, Chris Chambers. How, how old uh, how old is your daughter now? And, and uh, you're yeah. basically like, you know, chaperone around South Florida. I I am super daddy daycare right now. Um, it, this is my third. Well, actually, I have three kids. So my son, he's 11. So he's good to go. He's about to go into to middle school, which is great. And then my daughter, she's six years old. So she's uh, she's finishing up, you know, first grade there. And uh, actually kindergarten going into first grade next year. So absolutely in the last few days. And I have a small one at home at 10 months. So I'm, uh, I've am i been spending a lot of time with them, you know, needless to say. And, you know, park a lot pipping with the other parents, you know, doing all that type of stuff was, was really cool. So you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm like, man, I got to get her in some after-school programs. So I literally drop her off at like 8, and then next thing I know I'm at 1 o'clock, I'm, I'm here picking her up. So I, I definitely got to get a life right now. I know that uh, pretty well. So, so what is she into at this point? She's six. I mean, I'm, I'm going through the frozen yeah. and Moana stages because mine's turning four in July. She already gone through yeah. those. Has she moved on to something else? Yeah, Fro- Frozen's done. Um, it was great. We actually seen Frozen over at the arena. That was really cool. We were, we were Yo Gabba Gabba. I don't know if you went through that. That was the early stages. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is this show turning to already? Uh, we uh yeah so now well, now we're there she's getting she's getting a little o- older she's past the door and all that stuff uh you know it's funny how some of these these like uh old school like you know princesses and uh sesame street and all these like old elmo all these people are just starting to resurface all over the place so she actually watches stuff with my youngest daughter now too who's 10 months too so you know i'm getting a little bit of everything at this point 
All right, we're talking to Chris Chambers here. Um, you know him as one of the best receivers in Dolphins history. Second-round pick back in 2001. We're not going to talk about the first-round pick that year because it didn't work out quite as well uh, as Chris did long-term. But uh, but Chris ended up uh, fourth on the team all-time in receiving yards, fifth on the team all-time in receptions. Uh, you're pretty familiar with the guy who's right next to you on those lists, right? I mean, do you uh, you took over his locker, I remember, uh, when, when you were with the Dolphins. Have you gotten into it McDuffie, with McDuffie at all about kind of where you guys stand on those lists? I haven't. We, we haven't really had that conversation. I do know, and I haven't looked at this in a long time, that I was very close to passing him I don't know if it was receptions. Um, I think it was maybe yards or something like that. You got to check that for me. But it was like not even that many yards. I want to say it was like 15 yards or under 100 yards or something like that. And I was hoping to be signed back to the Dolphins so I can get that get past that. And uh, but I don't know exactly what those numbers are. But we we haven't had the conversation. I would love to have that conversation with him. Uh, obviously, he played with Dan the Man, so you got to give give him an asterisk for that. But besides <laughs> that, man, <laughs> you would have smoked. You would have smoked his ass totally if you played with Marino. Game. <laughs> Absolutely, man. But he was tough, man. I love to watch him play. I love. He mentored me some when I came in, so I really enjoyed that. And then uh, just to be able to have that knowledge and experience around me was really cool. And he's from Ohio too, so we connected instantly. Yeah, that's true. And he's actually going to be hosting a podcast on our network called Fish Tank Dolphins Tales from the Deep. And I'm pretty sure you're going to get a call from him uh, on that one. That's debuting in July. All right. For part one of this, Chris, I want to go back to the early years and I want to go back to you probably don't remember this. uh, I do. um, A a conversation that you and I had a long conversation uh, on South Beach, uh, sitting at Mm -hmm. Wet Willies, I believe, uh, on on Ocean Drive. It was after your first season. Your first year, you had 48 catches, 883 yards, a uh, bunch of touchdowns. Uh, you, 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 you had a couple of multiple touchdown games during that season where Jay actually threw a pretty nice deep ball to you on a, on a couple yep. of those uh, that I remember. And I remember sitting there talking with you about what you wanted your career to be. As you look back at the totality of it, did it turn out? I mean, you had you know some great moments. You had Pro Bowl moments. Uh, we're yep. going to talk a little bit about the Thanksgiving game and some of the the really yep. big games that you have. When you look back at your career in totality, was it what you expected? Uh, I, I was more of a like day to day guy, week to week, year to year. I had very simple goals. The goals are literally to be better in every category every year, and that and believe it or not, those goals actually, if you look at the numbers, were pretty for the most part for catches and receptions they always creeped up i think the the first five years they were always steadily creeping up and then obviously once we got into uh the sixth year and probably i don't even know what head coach or how many coordinators or how many receiver coaches at that time uh it kind of declined and and i believe it declined the year that west west walker came in and he was getting all the little dinks and dunks so he was just highly targeted at that point and you know i kind of went down that year uh, but for the most part, it was. It was. It was uh, actually a little bit more than I expected. Um, you know, I've, I've never. You know, often had like yearly goals, but I really didn't have like a career goal. Like, man, I want to have ten thousand yards. And I want to be the best receiver of all time. And I, I that just didn't really have that in my thinking. I was just always a good team player, and so that's why I never really got a chance to get into major conversations about you know getting the ball or demanding the ball or having targets and stuff like that. 
And I, obviously, I look back now, and I'm like, shit, man, I should have been doing Okay, can I cuss on this show? Yeah, go on. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> that's different from radio, Chris. Cuss as much as you want. <laughs> Let me, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm not a big cursor anyway, but I would I would throw a couple out there every once in a while. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, for the most part, you know, it just uh, I played the way I need to play because, um, you know, I just did everything I did just to get the win more than anything else. And I do feel like sometimes it's like, man, if they just give me the ball, you know, we'll have better chances to win games. And, uh, and it's, that's pretty much how my career went. And, you know, uh, you know, one year le- uh, led to another. And just, just the inconsistency of everything that we just talked about kind of dampened it now that I look back on it. And I'm like, man, you know, I probably was missing about 15, 20 touchdowns. I probably was missing about another 100 catches. And, you know, what? I probably would have been close to some Hall of Fame status if we had a consistent kind of system of quarterback. So, you know, I'm biting it now. But when I was playing, I didn't think about those things. So you mentioned the idea of you noticing that Wes Welker was taking some of your targets, and but then you, you sort of couch it by saying, if they had thrown the ball towards me, we would have won more games. Is that sort of the way that uh, – because I think very often receivers get tagged as selfish when they yep. sort of think about their own targets or, or, or sort of wanting the ball more, but is it almost more about, I think we can help the team win if I get the ball more? No, no, no doubt. No doubt, and um, and I, I really I didn't never put that out there because I was always I wasn't out front, especially earlier on in my career. You know, I was just more just taking advantage of all the opportunities that was given to me, um, knowing that you know at some point I'm going to make some plays, and um, and then really didn't hit me. And I don't know if we ever even told this story about uh, when Saban came in, and that was actually the year I went to the Pro Bowl, and he brought me to office. And we were remember we struggled the first half of that year. I don't know if you guys remember, I think it was the first year, and we struggled the first half. And then we went on a hell of a winning streak the last six or seven games. We're literally the hottest team in the NFL at that point. And he brought me into office midseason, and he was like, "Man, you know, in order for us to win games, you gonna have to play perfect." And I'm looking at him like, out of everybody, you got Jason, you got Zach, you got Sam, you got Ricky, you got you got all these guys, and you're telling me. In order for us to win games, I have to play perfect. And so once he told me that, it let me know what you know he thought me thought of me as a player and what organization organization thought of me as a player. And I literally stepped my game up from from there on out and ended up having one of my best seasons uh, based on some of those smaller conversations and give him him giving me the confidence uh, to be able to do that. So when people talk about saving this and that this and that, I've always been kind of more slightly towards him because I've, I felt like I've had good experiences from him and I learned uh, a lot of his methodology and philosophies. I got it. And I don't know if I got it because I was more of a younger guy that you, what he's used to having instead of an older veteran that probably see through a lot of the BS. Uh, but it was, it was all cool for me from there. It's interesting you talk about that with Nick. Um, you, you take a look at that season, 2005. You were targeted 166 times that year, so that that was the Ooh. most. Uh, that was the most of your career. You had 80, <laughs> 82 catches, 1118 yards, 11 touchdowns. Okay. Um, so I mean, you were averaging over five receptions a game, and then you had 154. Uh, targets the next year so those were your two highest targeted seasons and and actually you know we take a look back at that 05 season uh which you mentioned you guys did start three and seven and then had this six game winning streak yeah and and gus played really well that year um you guys seem to have a connection uh with you and farad it was just that one season um that you had with him but i want to get into your comments on saban because i i find this really Mm -hmm. fascinating because i know that Mm -hmm. jt had a good relationship with saban also um and I know that a lot of other players did not. And I've always sort of had this theory about Nick that when he came to the pros, 
the big problem for him was that in college he could control everything, right? He can control mm-hmm. which players he had on the roster. He could control the media. Um, he he could control everything about practices and and really, I mean, be the king of the town that he was in. And as you know, and I know you follow other sports pretty closely, uh, it's just not the case in pro sports. I, I'm just curious from your perspective, what did other players think of him? Like, what were the interactions with him? Do, do you think that there were missteps from him, you know, not just the personal conversations you had with him that worked, but did you think there were things that he could have done differently that maybe this would have been a longer tenure for him in Miami? You know, I, I just felt like at that point I still didn't have as many years up in my uh, under my belt to even care about what they did upstairs. Like JT and them at that time, of course, they was fully involved in probably a lot of different decision makings and. Nick did have a group. He had he had a good ten man, twelve man group. And I think we had talked about this before, but he he had a uh, like a leadership group that he had, and it was more than just captains. It was literally was uh, all the all the veterans and you know guys that he trusts and guys who play the game, and guys who have experience. And I just remember being able to go to some of those meetings. I didn't say one word ever. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about saying some stuff. Listen, I thought about I, I had some good suggestions. They just never came out. <laughs> they just never came out. I don't know why. I was just still shy, I guess. But, you know, I was always just listening to, like, some of the other guys talk about it. And when you got Jason and Sam and you say, I mean, certain, I don't know if they was around the time, but you got certain guys, uh, you just kind of let them talk first. You kind of let them say what they need to say, and then you just kind of fall back. So I wish I was more, like, assertive during that time because I, I feel like there would have been some good messages I could have put out there. Uh, and I think I probably would have gained even more respect from my teammates to be able to kind of step up and do that. But, you know, I, I just didn't take that take that chance, man. I fell back on most of those uh, those leadership meetings. So can you give us a story of Nick Saban at his loudest and angriest? Uh, that was a lot, man. That was a <laughs> lot. You know, he was, more, he was more prone on the defensive side. So I've, I've seen him go at these guys all the time. All the time he went at him, uh, he he hung out a lot with the the cornerbacks because that was probably more his specialty, and then being a defensive minded coach, so you know we didn't really have that type of relationship on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but it, I mean, it seemed like he was always kind of yelling and cussing almost every practice, and that spawned to all the other coaches yelling and cussing, and then end up being all the players yelling and cussing and and JT I don't know if you noticed or remember this JT has never really been a guy that was like like that but I promise you that year he was yelling and cussing <laughs> and, I, and he's not even like that type of person but he was saying some words that I did not ever hear JT say and I don't know if he remembered that I don't know if that was a, a turning point in his career or whatever it was during that time but um you know it's, I can't pinpoint one one exact moment um, there, there was some funny moments, obviously we, we talked about that at some point, but, uh, now I can't, I can't pinpoint one moment that he just got extremely frustrated and, you know, at least, at least to me, you know, he, he pretty much respected everything I did and we had a really good relationship. So I didn't get this, get a chance to see that side personally. Well, go, well, 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 then, well then give us the funny stuff then. What, what do you remember that was funny? Oh gosh, don't let me go there, please. <laughs> no, please do, please do. <laughs> it, it, well, you already know the number one thing. The number one was the the, the stripper moment. I don't know you. Y'all probably heard it from Shannon. Uh, there's no doubt that when we had that team meeting during minicamp, uh, some of the guys thought it'd be a great idea to bring a couple of the ladies from some of the gentlemen clubs to give coach a nice little lap dance, <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was extremely 
funny. I think that was like one of the most funniest things, and he couldn't help but just go with it. But the fact that that we had the the audacity to even do something like that uh, was crazy, man. And, it, and I think it kind of broke the mold a little bit. It broke the mold a little bit, and, and everybody kind of enjoyed the situation. But I don't think that'll ever happen in anybody else's locker room but ours, man. And uh, I thought that was an extremely uh, interesting situation. What was your best moment during that period of time? I mean, I have one game that comes to mind. I'm just curious if yep. it comes to mind for you. I mean, just what was the one game where you felt it all came together for you? Um, you know, that's tough. And I remember we were talking about this. I'm, it's, it's like a, I'm more seasonal. So it's more like every season had, had like different moments. So, you know, I would probably break it down by like by seasons. And, you know, just coming into the NFL – it was um, – I didn't really know what to expect. But, you know, obviously playing in the Big Ten, I, I was I was tough. I was physical. I was athletic. I wasn't as good as a real, like, receiver, route runner um, during that time. But, you know, I, I, I was very good on the 50-50 balls. I knew how to get in space and I knew how to make plays. So that kind of carried me for a few years alone. Um, but, you know, coming in, I actually when I made my first – I made my first catch in practice, and that's when I felt like I blown. And, and I remember it was like it was one of the things that stick out a lot. And I caught probably about a 40-yard pass, uh, actually against Jamar Fletcher. <laughs> it was against mm-hmm. Jamar Fletcher in practice, like one of the first practices. And I was like, man, this is just, wow, this is cool. And this is like where I'm supposed to be. And then the season just kind of progressed. And, and when, when I came in, it was, you know, I had guys in front of me like uh, OJ, even though he was he had a toe issue at the time. But he was still in the locker room. You had James McKnight, who had just joined the team. You had DJ Ward, who just turned joined the team. You had Aronda Gaston, who was the number one receiver, you know, at the time. So, you know, now that I look at it at a veteran standpoint, them guys probably was a little bit threatened by me. Um, but at the same time, they, did, they didn't show that. You know, they always felt like they helped me, um, you know, mature with, within my career. And then as that season progressed, I, start, I started returning kicks. I did not return a kick since high school. And so they wanted me to play special teams, so I was returning kicks. I was just straight going up the middle and then hitting the sideline. Because I, I was literally just watching this not too long ago. I got, like, this big archive of all my, my top plays. And every every time I was <clears throat> I break and I run to the sideline. Now, you know, if you return the kick, if you break it up the gut, then most likely you're probably going to have a good chance to take it in the end zone. But for whatever reason, I used to kind of shy away from some of the guys coming down. I would hit the sideline and I would make a play. <clears throat> and then from the – from the kickoffs, I got a, actually got a chance to play in the game. Uh, I made my first game. I made a, a couple great plays, uh, which, which was really cool because our first game was in Tennessee, if you remember. Mm-hmm. It was a night game in Tennessee. It was like, a, a, I don't know, it was a Sunday night game or something like that. I think and so. And it was a, the, the crowd. I mean, Tennessee was really good, too. I mean, that's when they had Javon Curse and, and all the boys. And we went up there, and I, I believe we came out with the victory that game, and we really handled them. And it was a chance to really see a different type of team uh, with my involvement uh, because I was you know, more of a speed threat. And then they added James and then they added Diedrich and we had Ogden. And so we had a kind of a, a kind of a complete receiver core at that time. And that, that was the big story about us. And we were just off in a good, but as the season progressed, I started making more plays. I started getting in a little bit more. I stopped doing special teams after a couple of couple times because the guys wasn't blocking. So they literally <laughs> took me off of it. Um, and then, uh, and then from there, I, I got my first opportunity when Aronde Gaston went went out. And we all we all know when when a guy goes out, there's always an opportunity for another guy to kind of come in. And uh, you know, my first making my first uh, start in the Indianapolis game, and then making my first touchdown and second touchdown in the same game. Um, those were humongous moments that I will never forget. 
Um, you know, because coming in, I actually was a guy who would always make a play, but I always fall on the ground. Like, I always just dive. I was just make these – I got to make it look spectacular. So, I actually – that first one, I actually caught, came up under. I didn't dive for the ball. I actually caught it up under myself, and I was able to run to the end zone. And uh, that was just pretty cool because it was probably the most beautiful ball that Jay has ever thrown. I mean, he, I mean, he launched it from about the 10-yard line. And I caught it from, like, their, like, 20-yard line. It was a good 50, 60-yard throw, and I kind of ran in. And so – and then we ended up winning that game, too, um, in, in a very tight game. So, that that game itself, just having your first your first touchdown, your first second touchdown, and then I just became really kind of streaky. I had another game in Buffalo where I had two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. It was a very tight game, same situation. Um, I had scored, scored earlier in the game. And we were down late in the fourth quarter, and I, and I made a hell of a catch along the sideline. And it was just like a coming to, like, the world feeling for me. And it was great, man, because we were up. It was cold, you know, and, and I was used to playing in the cold. So it always fit me well uh, when we had to travel up north. I always had good games in the cold. And um, and then I just kind of kept going. Then I had the Monday night game uh, somewhere around that time. And I was just smoldering hot at that point. You know, I probably scored three or four touchdowns in, like, two or three games. And uh, made a couple of touchdowns that game. So it was like three three games in my rookie year. I had two or two touchdown games. And um, and you know you see you know, when I look at some of the film and stuff, they used to have like you know, they called me like Baby Moss or I'm the next Moss or you know I was getting compared to all these different guys. Uh, even when I was coming out for the draft, I was getting compared to uh, Tim Brown um, at one point. So uh, without even really know his illustrious career. Uh, that was pretty cool, too. So you just, you know, got a chance to kind of see me mature within, like, one season and make a lot of great plays. And uh, and, and I think that, those was, that was probably the most memorable uh, just from the season one um, of my NFL career. All right, so we move on to season two. And uh, there's uh, – I remember this vividly. Um, and I don't know how well you remember it because of what happened in the mm-hmm. game. So we go to Denver. And yep. – and the Dolphins, I believe you guys were four and one at the time. Um, you looked like maybe the best team in the AFC, actually, at that point. And you go into Denver, and that was the game that Alindo Mare makes a, a late kick. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but mm-hmm. two other things happened. Well, actually, three things. One of them I, we didn't even realize at the time. But three things happened in that game, and I thought that this just totally derailed that entire regime. And I don't think it gets talked about quite enough. Mm-hmm. Um, one is Aranda got hurt um, in that game, and I don't think we recognized at the time how bad that was. Uh, another mm-hmm. was uh, Jay Fiedler. I remember uh, being sort of in the bowels of the stadium and Jay getting rushed off to uh, to get x-rays. And, of course, Jay ended up missing six games, and you guys went two and mm-hmm. four during that time. Yep. Uh, but also you took one of the most vicious hits I've ever seen uh, over mm-hmm. the middle in that game from Kanoi Kennedy. What do yeah. you remember about that whole sequence? Yeah, that was uh, – we were going to Denver. And it was once again a great atmosphere. It was at night. Uh, we barely could breathe. You know, we were high altitude, uh, but the atmosphere was just like unbelievable. And we were, we were winning games, like you said before. And uh, you know, I was running a route. It was called a, a skinny post. It's like a timing route. And it was one of my be- one of my best routes because everything is kind of on time. And, and Jay tends to kind of throw those like up high. I have no problem with high balls. I actually love catching high balls. It's like I have more concentration on the ball. And I have to have to really look at it, and, and I can use my extension. Um, but then at that point, I went up for the ball, and Kanoi, 
caught me right. I actually got nudged by the defender, and Kanoi caught me right up under the chin. Now, the backstory of that is that me and James McKnight thought it would be cool if we tried these new helmets out. And they had you had, you had to do a Riddell helmet, and then the NFL was experiment with another helmet that was more like aerodynamic. And I don't even know the name because I wish I knew the name when I sue them right now. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> I, I wish I knew. But uh, we tried it. We literally tried it. And it was a cooler-looking helmet. And um, and I think that was part of it, you know, just by, by changing that up. But then I got I got hit, hit really nice. And obviously when you when you get concussions, it's two, two ways. You can get them. You can get them by, like, banging the, the back of your head on the ground. And you can get them. I actually have both before. And you can get them with, like, more of, like, a whiplash effect. And so mine's is more like a whiplash effect. And just being on the ground, and that was the first time I've ever been knocked out of a game in my entire life. And I kind of woke back up in, into the locker room at that point, um, throwing up all over everywhere, very nauseous. Uh, but I was watching the game, and that literally that picked up the game, to be honest with you. It really did. My teammates had my back, and we ended up playing a hell of a game from there. I mean, Pat had a, a, what a, a really great interception. Lindo had the kick. I mean, the guys played great from there on out. And uh, but it was tough for me, you know, because I had to actually fly back from that, that part of the country all the way back home, and then I was in the hospital for three days after that. And you know, and this is when you know I, I didn't learn about unfortunately they don't really go over concussion stuff with us because it's a, a hitting thing. Um, uh, but I didn't I didn't learn about what concussions mean or anything because we were never educated about it with the NFL until actual the movie actually came out, and that's when I was like. <clears throat> that blew my mind because I was like, man, all this information that the NFL could have been giving us all this time, all this research they've probably been doing um, during that time, it could, it could have, would have been nice to know some of these things were going on. And, you know, I don't know if it was one of the things where it kind of just scared us a player and the players a little bit timid, uh, but it was rough, man. I, I missed Nick. I think I missed the next game. And then we went up to green Bay and played and you know how just playing in green Bay alone is just, I mean, it's tough. And I was back in Wisconsin. So I was really excited but I was very scared to go across the middle. Uh, I think I missed a couple of balls, and I, I really didn't feel myself, and really until the next game after that when I took a good shot and I was able to get from it. So uh, that's what I remember about that whole situation. It, it was rough at the time, but, you know, the team bounced back in the Denver game, and then we, we took a slid, you know, those next six games. Wanted to ask some follow-ups about the, about the concussion and, and about what happened there. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned what you felt in that moment. Uh, so so you didn't miss a game from from that from that concussion, did you? I did. I okay. missed I missed the next game. Mm-hmm. You you missed the next. You missed one game for that. I missed one game. Okay. Yes. So what what was obviously given the fact that they didn't give you any information? What were they treating you for? How did they treat you? And in retrospect, do you, know, you think you should probably? Do you think you should have kept on playing? Uh, well, I didn't kept kept playing that game, so I was out that game. Right, uh, I'm I'm game. saying like for you know a longer period of time. Oh, first, uh, personal now. Nah, uh, I think I was okay. You know, we did the baseline test. Now we're talking about shoot, we're about to show our age a little bit. About what, 14 years ago? <laughs> I don't even know. I can't even count no more. But obviously, technology is a lot different. And every year you do your your baseline test, which was like just on a computer, and they had a couple little different things. So, um, like I said before, I've seen guys fail that test. I've seen the guys fail the test on purpose. So they wouldn't miss games. They failed them on purpose and they wouldn't get miss games. So you always go back to your, your baseline test, and then you got to keep doing the baseline test until you get to the score you had when you originally did the pretest. 
And so once I got to that score to pretest, you're pretty much medically clear from that. But knowing what I know now is you're really never clear from it. You're always going to be impaired, uh, even though you can build new neutron tracks. And there's a lot of new information out there now, but we just didn't have it back then. So it could have been, I think it's one of the, it's very subjective to whoever was doing that stuff at the time. But at the point, you already know if you got an ascendant player and he's on the field, you're going to want him on the field. So they could have told me anything. And I would have been back on that field. And I didn't, at that point, I didn't understand, hey, I can go get a second opinion. I can go to a neurologist. I can go this person, this person. It was just, it was just not a thing to do because you're a football player. And that was part of the game. And I think there were a lot of guys that you came up with um, who had that same attitude. I mean, I, I can remember mm-hmm. so many situations talking to Zach after games where yeah. it, w- it was just clear, right. I mean, it was just clear that he had been concussed and it hadn't been diagnosed. And you know how generous Zach is. So Zach would, would sit there with us in the media for like 30 minutes going through round after round after round with us. And it was just clear. He just was not himself. Like, and, and I, you know, I can remember one sequence, there was a goal line stand against Atlanta and, and he, I think made the tackle mm-hmm. on all three plays. Yes. It was, it was a home yes. game. I mean, he, he was incredible. That was, I mean, he, he had some games, man, but like that one, mm-hmm. he was really, really good. Um, but I just, I didn't feel good about it interviewing him after the game. He just did not seem um, like himself. So it's interesting what you're talking about, about how most players um, would approach that. Want to get to one other happier memory here. I mentioned earlier the Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Day game um, in 2003 in Dallas, and Jay threw three touchdowns to you in that mm-hmm. game. And when I look back at the games where that team really clicked, uh, that that's one that kind of jumps yeah. out. Uh, you know, Ricky had over a hundred mm-hmm. yards. Uh, what do you remember from that atmosphere? Um, I'm trying to think what our record was in that time. I think we were down. Um, I believe that, that I think the Cowboys was literally undefeated or maybe no, like they were one. They were actually no. They, you you went in. You guys went in there at seven and four, and they were okay. eight, they were eight and three. Okay. Okay. So they were one of the better teams in in the NFL. I think Quincy Carter. Who I forget. Uh, yes. Quincy Carter. Yes. Yeah. Quincy Carter uh, with, with Parcells with the, coaching. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Parcells was there. They had uh they had a really good defensive player. They had a really good team. And um you know just playing on Thanksgiving Day, you you already know that's just one of the the best days you could possibly play on as a football player. And I I always just remember Wanstead not. Play, you know, I always thought Wanstead is, was a coach who like um, play like not to lose. So all of our games were always close. They were always fourth quarter. They were always a field goal away. You know, because he he really relied on that that defense that he built, which is a hell of a defense. He was a great defensive coach. And at that time, we had North Turner, who was a great offensive mind. And I always felt like he had some shackles on here and there, but I, I didn't know the in between things or the lines in between. But I felt like that was a game where, and I don't know if it was because we're going back to Dallas and North had a history there. He did not, he did not blink an eye of what North wanted to do. Um, North literally called that game exactly how he wanted to call it. Uh, everything that we worked on practice or leading up, and that's one thing that North is just really good at. Good at, and, and obviously that's the coach that I admired probably one of the most. Um, and, you know, I had him in San Diego. So it's probably the offense I've been in the most in my career, four years out of my career. And I've had great stats out of, out of that offense. And um, and everything we worked on, we literally called. You know, you know, sometimes you'll go through the week and you'll feel they'll, – they'll make you feel damn good during the week. Like you're going to be – you're going to make all the plays, you're going to get all the targets and all this, and then you don't get nothing. And you feel like crap. And then you got to wait the next week. But that was, that was a week where they literally – 
called everything that we worked on in practice. And it was, obviously it was a short week, but leading on to it, we were working on certain situations for that game, and we were just letting it go. I mean, we were letting it go. I had opportunities early in the game to make plays and uh save big money at menards let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from ad force it's easy to install durable against the elements and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through may 5th and check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on menards.com save big Jay, me and Jay was just kind of clicking. We had a great feel of uh, their defensive concepts. The defense was playing great, and uh, and Jay just Jay made some some great throws. Made some great throws. Um, I actually scored um, a couple of touchdowns in the back of the end zone. One got called back that was really close, and then they called the same play. With, who I think one of my my best catches, one of my better catches uh, on the other side, the next play, and we end up scoring on it. Was like a tippy toe catch in the, in the back of the end zone. And and for myself, and then literally that's the first time I ever dunked over a goalpost too. So I don't know if everybody <laughs> ever seen that or anything like that. And being a, a basketball guy, it just it was I was hot. Now I don't I don't show a lot of emotion when I kind of get going, but if you see me start showing some emotion, then I'm probably you probably need to just feed me the ball from here on out. And it was just one of those games where I made plays and I felt extremely streaky, uh, and I got a chance to, to dunk over the goalpost at the, in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium and. um you know, it was a great memory to have, and it was a coming out party for myself and, and our team at that point. We talked a little bit about uh, the Saban era. You've talked about Wanstead. And then 2006, Nick decides that he's going to go to Alabama. How did you experience that as a player? Because we, in the media, we were fighting with Nick all that time, and Nick was mm-hmm. denying that he had any interest in that job. I, you know, I will not be the Alabama coach. Dave Hyde asked him the question. Uh, Nick got very irritated about that. Did you guys think he was leaving? Uh, we were grumblings. Um, he, uh, we do feel like he quit on us. I got to say, at least from my standpoint, I feel like he quit on us as a, as a coach. Um, he just was a guy who was, at that point, was not used to losing, uh, coming from the ranks and, you know, having championships and, you know, just the, his, his pedigree. And he just, and I just feel like he just couldn't take it. He couldn't take it anymore. Um, it could have been, you know, in between that, it could have been a little bit of you guys, you know, on him a little bit, I'm sure. And it could have been a little bit of the players, you know, no, no telling what the guys and type of feedback he had at that time. And, um, you know, for me, it just felt like he kind of quit on the team. And, um, I think who took over from him at that point? Was it, uh, was Bates. it Bates? Yeah, it was Bates. Was it, well, no, was no, Bates no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bates was Wanstead. It was, uh, well, no, I, I, Nick, so, Nick yeah, finished Nick, the season. Yeah, Nick finished the season. It was just, uh, it was Nick on, the, on the camp. He had camera, finished the season. Yeah, it was on the cam. Yeah, the cam camera came in the next year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, came in the next season. But yeah, I mean, I mean, after that, when you you're hearing stuff like that mid season or close to the end of the season, it never kind of bodes well for your team. And um, and I don't think we were doing that well. I mean, we finished that season before. Like hell, I I want to say we were preseason. I think we were supposed to be a Super Bowl contender preseason at that point because we had everybody in. We had Ricky. We had myself. Uh, you have you had Randy McMichael. Uh, you had um. I mean, maybe Marty Booker may have been on the team by that year. I don't know. West might have. I think West might have been on that. Team. I mean, we had a a really good squad. You know, the de- the offenses had finally caught up to the defensive efforts of what's been taking place there. And the fact that we wasn't able to convert them to wins was uh, was was tough. 
uh, for the coach and obviously for the players. But I think that's what kind of ultimately pushed him out. It could have been other things that was kind of going on. Uh, obviously, we know some stories about, you know, the way he was kind of running the organization and, you know, having this uh, dictator type of uh, situation that he kind of had going on. So it could have been some stuff there, too. I have no idea. Uh, but as a, as a player, you always want to just kind of focus on yourself. But, you know, if the upstairs is not right and the organization is always going to come and seat down to the to the players. And as a Miami Dolphin player, that happened way too many times um, throughout my career. It just was never steady. It was always stuff leaking from upstairs, even if it was Wanstead or if it was uh, Saban or if it was Cam Cameron or, you know, Bates that came in and tried to light a fire in front of us one year. And it was just real cool playing with him because he just was a different type of motivational coach and he was more of a defensive guy. But it was just never stable all the way to the point of almost right now. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think, you know, so it's crazy how the history is literally repeating itself over and over with the organization. I'm just hoping that at some point uh, we're able to kind of turn around and just me being a part now, I, I, as you guys know, I retired as a Miami Dolphins officially, uh, you know, a, a month ago, a couple months ago, I would be obviously be doing more things with the team. And so hopefully we can, uh, we can turn those things around and, uh, you know, have a better outcome, you know, going forward. All right, so after that 2006 season, uh, Nick leaves. Uh, Wayne, Wayne Huizenga tries to get him to stay. He decides he's not going to stay. Decisions made. to They have a search. Um, I remember Mike Tomlin was one of the coaches that they interviewed on that search. Wow. They interviewed a whole bunch of coaches. Uh, they decide on Cam Cameron. And then they draft someone who you knew pretty well because you played yep. uh, for Ted Ginn's father, and he's a legendary high school coach, and I know you, you had a relationship, but mm-hmm. I'm guessing you probably still have a relationship with him. But I felt like Ted never had a chance, like I, because the way that whole thing went down, the fans are chanting for Brady Quinn. Cam Cameron is sent into a tent or into the bubble by the marketing people uh, to, mm-hmm. to try to hype the draft pick. He's telling the fans to turn oh, their yeah, thumbs this that. way. Uh, I mean, you knew Teddy a little bit, obviously, because you played for his dad. What what was the transition to Cameron like, and what was it like being a fellow receiver in the room who was supposed to take uh, somebody you knew under your, under your wing? Um, Cameron was a little different because uh, now – because the whole thing was like offense, offense. We need offense. So they wanted to bring in an offensive-minded coach um, as opposed to years past to having a defensive-minded coach. So I think that was one of the bigger things. It was okay for me because he came from San Diego, and San Diego had a hell of a offense that he was running there. And um, it was literally the similar offense that Norv ran, too. So it, it worked for me very well. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out overall because he traded me. But <laughs> for the most part, it, 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 was, it, was, it was still kind of the same similarities and, like, uh, concepts and stuff like that. So I was kind of okay with that. Um, going to drafting with Ted Ginn, you know, I was absolutely ecstatic because – Growing up in uh, Cleveland, Cleveland Glenville, his father was my first coach. Uh, him, his father, and my uncle were great buddies. We all grew up in the same area, Glenville, Collinwood area, uh, in the east side of, of Cleveland, um, Bone Thugs area too. I could throw that in there too. And then all that same kind of mix. Um, so it was it was really cool because he was a very uh, taking senior man. He was very influential in the city, and you that was his start of that. Now he's he's almost an icon in the area and what he's done with the kids and everything. But Ted at that time, when I was coming to high school, he was like in elementary school or something like that, but he was always around. You've seen his athletic ability, um, you know, to this day. 
And I was I was very excited to pick up Ted. And I felt like I was at a point in my career where I could have helped him groom some and us playing together on the same field after, you know, being that, you know, almost brothers growing up. It was it was very cool for me. And so it kind of hurt when I had to depart there. And, and I think they threw him and another guy, Derek Hagan, completely in the fire after I left. Um, and it shouldn't have been like that because Hagan was starting to send some. He was making some plays here and there. You know, Ted was still kind of coming along, but he still was, was young. You can't put all that on a young guy. And and he, you know, it took him a while to develop. And honestly, believe it or not, to this day, Ted about to go into 13 years, 13 years in the NFL. And I don't really know how. I saw him two years ago. He actually trained at the facility with me. And I'm like, dude, you still really don't even know how to run routes. How are you still in the NFL? <laughs> I cannot believe it. And it's been on pure speed. Pure speed, and he didn't do. He don't do a lot in the off season. He don't. He's. I mean, obviously, you know, he's just an Olympic track guy, and he's one of the. You know, he was one of the world's fastest persons at one point. Uh, coming out, and he was just he, a he great athlete, just a great football player. He, he can't even catch either. Like, how many times he, he dropped the ball? Thirteen years in the league <laughs> right now. So this guy has all the props in the world for me. And it's funny. I just talked to him the other day. He's gonna come down and train with us for. For uh, for me for about a month here, and he was open. He was open with me, and he was like, "Man, Chris, man, I I tried to warm up today, and I felt it." <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he "Just he, it, you know, it can it can happen like that, though. It literally can happen. Like one day you're okay, the next day you're like, oh man, I'm feeling old. This is I can't move like I want to. I can't run like I want to." And he's like, "Yo, when I come there, I want to do two days. I want to do this. I want to do that." And I was like, "Hold on, now, slow down. We need we need a different approach for you. We got to make sure you're healthy." and align your body and do this and do that. And so now I'm guiding him as a 13-year uh, you know, veteran receiver, which is really cool. But if we were able to kind of stay within the system back back in the day, uh, I believe we would have been able to do some good things together with those two young guys and myself still kind of ascending. And, um, you know, and I was just really – I felt like I was really just getting my prime. I had a, I had a down year in two, 206, but it was a lot of things around me then. Um, coming into new money, all type of little stuff here and there that I, I felt like I could have did uh, did some things different. But for the most part, that 2007 year, I actually was at a, a really good – I felt like that was almost one of my better years, even though I split with two teams. Um, and But I, I was I was, I was was making some plays and doing some things, but, you know, I wasn't able to kind of finish it out with the Dolphins. But I, I kind of sparked me up, though. It gave me another chip on my shoulder saying, okay, I'm never going to let this happen again. I'm going to show them that they messed up by trading me to, to somebody else and kind of turning their back. It felt like they turned their back on me, the organization, because I would have literally went 0-16 with that team if I had to. Now, I, I know myself being a part of a team will never go 0-16, because um, I just felt like I would always have a game that would help the offense tremendously win a game, and that's just how I thought sometimes. So, uh, you know, kind of Jordan-esque in that thinking yeah. <laughs> or, or Wade-esque. But uh, that's how I felt at, at moments of my career when I was able to kind of get the ball more frequently. Yeah, there's one story about Cam uh, before we let you go on this one. There, there's one story about Cam that I always heard. I wanted to uh, see if I could validate here. There, it's a story about a, a rope uh, in the back of the practice facility. I can't remember who told me this. Did, did he have you guys like do a tug of war like on back on the practice facility? Because I, I heard a, mm. I heard a, I heard a crazy story related to this that he he ended up putting all the guys on one side. Sounds more like Dan Campbell than it does like Cam Cameron. <laughs> that that definitely is a Dan Campbell thing. That is no doubt a Dan Campbell thing. And I wasn't around Dan during that time, but that was something that they were they were 
they were just reaching for all type of stuff at that point. But mm-hmm. you know, I, now Cam, he was just so laid back, just very laid back, very lethargic, and so you know, sometimes the teams, you know, take the personality of the coach, and that that wasn't our style. We're more of a tough physical team than than that laid back type of team. You know, he had more of like a basketball mythology. Uh, he was, you know, he Indiana. He used to show us pictures of like basketball players, you know, doing these dunks and you know, all type of stuff. And, you know, he'll try to correlate it to football and something like that. And I just don't feel like the guys even understood that or even wanted to hear any of that type of junk, to be honest with you. And that pretty much was his departure from there because he could never capture the team as a whole. And then you ended up going to play for Phillip Rivers. So that was a whole nother then I go uh, play Phillip Rivers. Ch- oh, chapter man, of your career. Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> was going to uh, say. You didn't get Marino, like, but you got that, that's the closest uh, you got. <laughs> it's like playing in slow motion. Literally, the ball, everything is like very slow, and his delivery is on time. And he just, he's just the, I mean, obviously the best quarterback I had, but, and I was in his little bit younger stages. Uh, but he, I mean, <laughs> I can't say enough about him, man, because when you left the huddle, you felt like you were going to get the ball. LT felt like he was going to get it, Gates. Vincent, Malcolm, we all like, yo, we getting the ball this time. He'll give you a little wink. He'll give you, hey, Chris, let's do this. Hey, let's change it. I mean, it was just like playing in the backyard almost. And when you're on an all-star team like that, it was awful fun. It was like we could turn it on and turn it off at any moment. And we, we always played good when our backs were completely against the wall. It was like, okay, now we got to turn it on. We got all these all-stars. Let's turn it on. Let's win like six, seven games. We're all, let's go to the playoffs. Let's do this. And, you know, he's done that a couple of times in his career already. So that's just a whole other chapter that I'd love to talk about at some point. We'll continue with Chris Chambers about the – current Dolphins team in a second, but first, a word from one of our sponsors. You know, hurricane season is again upon us, and yet thousands of Floridians have still not received fair compensation for their Hurricane Irma claims. If your claim was denied, underpaid, or assessed below your deductible, you need a free consultation with an experienced insurance attorney at the law office of Lloyd J. Heilburn. Call 561-726-3636 or contact through heilbrunlaw.com. That's H-E-I-L-B-R-U-N-N-L-A-W.com. The law office of Lloyd J. Heilbrun handles insurance, personal attorney, and wrongful death cases on a no-fee, no-cost, unless there's a recovery basis. All you got to say is that five reasons sent you. All right, we're going to move to the next part here with former Pro Bowl receiver Chris Chambers. Last season of Chris's career was 2010, spent some time with the Chargers, then the last year and a half with the Chiefs then retired. Can't really believe that it's been eight years already since then. Um, But we're going to move to the current team because you pay a lot of attention to the current team. Recently, you were one of a few guys that uh, signed a one-day contract so that you could Mm -hmm. officially finish your career with the Miami Dolphins. You'll be proud to know, Chris, but I think you already know this because I thought you, I actually saw you like the tweet uh, that I pulled this on at five reason sports and of the players who, who just uh, signed those one-day contracts with the Dolphins, you were the most popular when you played. So, uh, not, not only did you get that honor, but you get a little bit of an honor uh, from <laughs> our listeners. But you have followed the current team, and in particular, the current receivers. And I wanted to go through some of this uh, with you. And I want to start with the guy who's not going to be here uh, this season. How big an effect do you think Jarvis Landry's departure will have on the Dolphins? Um, I guess it kind of remains to be seen for the most part. We, we know his production on the field. Uh, which given all the opportunities he's had uh, over the past years and, and targets and everything like that. And uh, he's been able to make the most of, obviously, and getting one of the largest, you know, contracts in the NFL 
which is great for him. And, um, you know, during, during that course of time, um, you know, he gave everything to the city, you know, to every practice, you know, every, every time I seen him out there, I mean, he was giving it all. Seemed like he was really good in the community. Um, seemed like he was a, a stand-up guy. No matter what went on, he's he's always he's never pointed a finger. You know, he's just a good teammate to kind of have. And he's like a pound for pound one of the toughest uh, football players in the NFL. So um, you know, I know he had a lot of fans here that, that would have loved to have him on his roster again. But he had to move on. And uh, you know, I, I definitely think it's going to be a void there for somebody to have to come in and, and step up and do some of the dirty work that Jarvis was able to do over the course of his uh, short career. But, Chris, it seems like the overall mentality, not just from the receiving position, but throughout the roster was two good players might be better than one great player. And so they went out and went for Albert Wilson and they went for Danny Amendola as well. And so you'd have to think they're trying to basically make up for Jarvis Landry's production in the aggregate. Based off your experience in football, do you find that one great player is better than two good players, particularly if we're looking specifically at Adam Gase's system? I think he wants to be a bit more decentralized. How would you come down on that debate? Yeah, you know what? The thing is, the great player is a great slot for receiver. So if I can get two two good players, but I guess those, those guys are kind of slots too, Balver's a little bit outside, um, it might not be a bad trade-off, uh, to be honest with you. Now, if you're talking about one great player who – who takes the top off the coverage, who, who scores, you know, multiple, you know, 10 touchdowns a year and 1,000 yards a season. And, you know, that's a different type of guy. And it's, it's a handful of those guys in the NFL you win trade for the world. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like he was in that echelon of guys. Um, so I, I think it was a good move by the organization. Um, they got some young guys that can get a chance to step up. And some current guys that's been on the roster the last few years that you want to step up and get some more targets. So it was more about beating the other guys and making up for that instead of just bringing in the other guy. So uh, I think that was more of just giving the, you know, guys like Steels and Devontae more and Grant more opportunity to make plays um, instead of having Jarvis on that roster where he's going to demand all the targets. One more thing on Jarvis before we move on to the other guys. There was a lot made of his yards per catch, right? Like it was, it was kind of historically yep. low for, for somebody with that many targets. Was that, in your view, a product of the way they used him or in terms of throwing all these wide receiver flats and these bubble screens and other stuff like that? Or, or was that sort of his inability to kind of uh, get down the field? Because I, I feel like Dolphin fans would feel differently about this if he was even averaging 12 yards a catch um, as opposed yeah. to, to under nine last year. What, what played into that? Yeah, definitely both. Uh, no doubt, just being able to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand. We, we all know the ice off of the line play. That's not been stellar over the years, and uh, to be able to just get it into his hands was a big thing for for the team to do because he's a guy who was able to break tackles, to get first downs, and, and stuff like, and do things you know underneath. But he was never a guy who who would catch a ball over the top or who played outside. So uh, it makes it a little bit difficult when it when it comes to that point. Um, but for the most part, you know, I think that now now that he is he's not there, uh, I think you'll see a little bit more spreader of the offense. You know, obviously to more players, but definitely taking more shots down the field because you know when you when you're playing in this league, and uh, we used to say it all the time, and you at least have to take at least six shots down the field. You just have to just because of the defense, the way things are set up, and if you consistently you know dinking and dunking and, and having to go on ten, twelve play drives, I mean it's, it's not going to last long. And that's what the Dolphins have been doing as of late, and they have to change that philosophy you know, right now. You averaged uh, over 14 yards a catch uh, over the course of your career. Um, Kenny Stills has been a guy who's been able to average a lot of yards per catch. Uh, and his like metrics, like the statistics on him, indicate that if he got more targets, 
he'd be extremely productive. And he actually last year, our guys who run the three yards per carry podcast have done a lot of research on this. And they found that Kenny Stills was among the most productive slot receivers in the league uh, last year. He just didn't get as many opportunities as Landry. You had to make that transition where you went from as a rookie, you know, kind of ostensibly the number three receiver, even though you ended up with 883 yards to eventually becoming a number one receiver. If Kenny Stills is going to get more attention this year and more targets, how do you think he'll do with it? Uh, right now, I haven't. I actually haven't played as the number one receiver um, coming into this year. Um, you know, and just to touch on going back to, to last year, I like the way their their receiver roster was was set up. If I was a receiver coach, that's how I would like my receivers. You got a guy on the outside who's a big, tall guy who who you want to be able to stretch the field some. Um, you got a guy in the middle, you know, Jarvis playing where, you know, he can do some things in the slot that, you know, some of the other guys in the NFL can't do. And then you have Kenny Steele, to me, who was a mix of both of those guys, who's, 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 who has the speed to take it downfield, has the quickness and the toughness, a willing blocker. And, you know, that's how I would like my receiver core kind of made up. And so, you know, now losing that, um, going forward, there's no doubt that Kenny is in it, about to enter into his prime of his career. Um, who, he's a guy who consistently keeps getting better. He doesn't put the ball on the ground. He doesn't complain. He's not a distraction off the field. Uh, I think he's entering out maybe his sixth year uh, in the NFL right now, so he's definitely coming into his prime. Uh, and I believe with more targets, you know, he has the opportunity to get over that threshold of 1,000 yards. He's always been productive of getting the ball in the end zone, I think six or seven touchdowns the last couple of years. So, you know, with more more targets, more opportunities, he's going to probably get that number up some more. Actually, I think he had nine uh, the year after um, you know, his contract year. Yeah, so you got a very consistent guy who knows how to find the end zone. I expect him to be the number one receiver this year, no doubt. There was a story in the Miami Herald about you wanting to have a chat with Devontae Parker and maybe want to, you know, talk to him. And, and you had kind of wanted to, to, to clarify what you meant in terms of what you wanted to talk yeah. about with Devontae Parker. So when you saw the story, did you think maybe that it wasn't totally what, what you meant? And, and how do you want to be involved with Devontae and with yeah. the Dolphins receiving group as, as a whole? Yeah, that, that for Devontae, I mean, he's a guy who um, well, I want to get to know, you know even more. He's a very quiet guy. Uh, he doesn't really he doesn't say a whole lot, um, but you know he's a great athlete and he has the opportunity to be a great you know a great player in the NFL if he's you know consistent and, and you know the biggest part of um, what he's been having going on has been his health. Uh, the health issues have negated him from being able to you know take what he needs to do um, in practice, which everybody I think it's been literally the same type of situation where he's been having great practices. Um, you're seeing some potential, you're seeing some flashing, and it just has not translated to the game. And, you know, the, the, when you're playing in the game and you're getting hit every game and, and now everything's getting a little physical, um, it's no doubt that you got to take care of your body. So I wasn't meaning more of his routine. Who does he work with outside of the, the Dolphins locker room or the Dolphins training room? Because you have to have a team. You have to have your own doctor, your own massage therapist, some guys like acupuncture. Um, there's so many devices, and I feel like he needs to find out which one of those devices or which routine helps him out. You know, with me, I was going to the Cairo Tuesdays and Fridays. I got my massages Tuesdays and Fridays. I went to the co- – I mean, I had it down packed for every week, and that, that sustained me. And I felt like he's a guy that's just really been out of line, and he'll get one injury, he'll get that healthy, he'll compensate to another injury. And so I was more trying to mentor him from just the off-the-field basis and try to see – what would it, what did he need? You know, in, in this type of year, especially right now, this is a time where you kind of experiment with certain things that you practice and you see what works for you. 
And that's what I wanted to kind of give to him to see if I can kind of help him get on the hump because I know if he's on the field, he's going to get more targets. He'll get more opportunities. He'll have more experience. And then he'll have that year that he needs to have. But, you know, obviously, you know, going into your third year, that was the year where you say, okay, now we want to see what this guy's about. And he actually had a decline from the year before. So um, that the type of mentorship I wanted to bring to him. And hopefully I still can. Is there somebody inside who can do that too? I mean, obviously, look, I mean, you've done it uh, yeah. and you've had success and you were a pro bowler. So, I mean, he should take advice from you. But does somebody in that room, in that receiver room, I mean, how does that work? Can, can someone like Kenny Stills or, I mean, I would think Danny Amendola would be great at this because he's he's had to fight through so many injuries over the course of his yep. career and still be productive. Uh-huh. How much of it can come from inside the receiver room where they kind of show yeah. the way? Well, it should. You know, Danny just got here because he needs probably to figure out who, who he can trust out here. You know, actually, when I left and went to San Diego, I flew my chiropractor every single game when I went to San Diego. And when I went to Kansas City, I flew him every game because I knew that that was the, like my secret sauce that was going to help me be strong. And as you know, I was a very durable player. I was always strong, strong as, as a – well, we didn't go into playoffs much when I was – with the Dolphins, but when we started going to playoffs with San Diego and Kansas City, I was very strong in uh, December, and I was you know, strong in January because my body was always in line. I didn't have a lot of major injuries, and I didn't really have any minor injuries as well, and I was able to overcome a lot of things. And, you know, so that's the type of, you know, service that you, that you need. And I believe a guy like uh, Kenny, actually Kenny came up to me the last time I was there. He's like, man, thanks a lot for that guy that you gave me, man. That's the guy I use now. And I don't even know who I told him to go to, uh, you know, and it was just must be somebody that I felt that was going to work good for him, and he thanked me for it. So I would think, you know, a guy who's been in town, a guy who's who's been healthy and durable, you know, that's the person I'll be looking up to. Like, yo, man, hey, who who you go see? Who's the person that treats you here? You know, what's your routine? And so those are the questions that I know that a stand-up guy like Kenny won't keep from his other receivers. Is that going to help the overall outcome of the receiving core in the team? And just to put this into perspective as we move to the last part here, I mean, you're <laughs> you're not talking about something you don't know something about. I mean, since you – tell people about what you've been doing since you retired. Yeah, well, yeah. So since I retired, uh, I've been doing sports performance. I uh, started my, my business, uh, Chamber Fitness, uh, literally almost right after I, I left. Right after I, I felt that uh, – well, right after I was told I was having to play no more. Because I was pretty much pushed out the game once my uh, went to go check out my hip, and the doctor said you're arthritic hip, you're bone on bone, and that's it. And that was the end of the story for me. Um, I actually tried to give a little bit of a run for a second. I had a trial with San Francisco, and literally after that tryout, I was like, that's it, I'm done. I was so sore, I was so hurt, and uh, I knew right then and there my career was over. But then thrusting into that, I, I jumped into the sports performance, uh, looked around a couple of places, and I, I found a beautiful place right on 595. Um, and hiatus in Knob Hill, and um, I jumped into the sports performance world, and I learned a lot from there, man. It's a lot of things that the guys can do. It's an elite athlete, athletic training, uh, combinate combination with uh, medical stuff, uh, devices to help the guys recover, in combination with neuro stuff. So if you have kind of all that in in your pot there, man, you're you're able to sustain your health. You're able to maintain your strength throughout the season in conjunction with what the team does, which is probably pretty good itself. But it just gives you a better chance to be able to succeed. And so I absolutely love helping athletes develop them. Uh, I get as a being in the sports performance, you get a lot of stuff thrown at you. So you get a chance to vet a lot of stuff. You get a chance to see what works for certain guys. And there are certain things that work for guys that you say, oh, man, you know, this might be something that can help this other guy. 
And so that's been really cool for me all the way from the youth to the high school, to the college, uh, to the pro guys. And uh, it's been a joy to be able to help guys out and be able to see them um, use some of these things for success on the field. What were some of the other options that maybe you were thinking about and, and sort of in, in retirement, things that you could have gone in, and why did you choose this path? I actually didn't think about nothing. <laughs> I really didn't think about nothing. But I, I, now I now that I'm kind of like in the in the uh, sports performance realm, and like I said, Chambers Fitness I've, I've had for five years. After the, uh, the fifth year, I didn't renew my lease. I ended up going over to Brandon Marshall's spot, uh, Fitspeed, so I joined their team. Uh, I really love working there. They actually have a lo- little bit larger facility, uh, a little bit more recovery devices. So, you know, now I'm actually working with a, a team of guys um, that help that helps and support athletes, but uh, I didn't have a plan. What I would have did, I would have went back. I would have went to business school maybe for for a year or two. I think the NFL was giving guys an opportunity um, to go down to the University of Miami and earn their uh, MBA uh, through a business program. And I know a lot of guys that really benefited from that. So I kind of had to get my my business education like the hard way. But I really enjoyed all the relationships and resources and everything I was in experience. I was able to kind of gain from that. But, you know, I'm a, I love coaching. Um, so I often can see myself developing athletes or coaching. Uh, I love doing recruiting stuff and scouting. Um, so I'm definitely, you know, more towards, you know, football, football development and uh, things of that nature. But staying close to the game, staying close to athletes, being able to have some flexibility right now is what I love the most. And now I'm trying to capitalize on those resources and opportunities. All right. And you can follow him at C Chambers 84 on Twitter. I know he's going to start getting a little bit more active there. You know, this sounds like a pretty interesting topic uh, for a podcast. Uh, may, maybe uh, maybe you might want to look at getting into our business uh, <laughs> nah, at, at, at some point and helping people out that <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. You know what? And, and the thing about sports performance, we're in South Florida. It is completely saturated. So you have your Bomberitos. You have your Fitzbeat, you know, you have uh, another group perform. You got the Hive, you got Impact Sports, you got Tony Villani. I mean, you got about eight or nine really major players that all the guys are kind of spread out, kind of going to. Um, so for me, it'd be really cool for me. And I have relationships with all of them. There's no, no, um, no bridges burned or anything like that. You know, I can kind of go in there and I would love to know what they do for their players or I would love to know what other uh, athletes kind of come in there? Because, you know, obviously South Florida is a destination for guys in the offseason for training. You see people come down here all the time training. So I'm looking forward to kind of uh, penetrating other people's sports performance and, uh, and giving them an opportunity to, you know, to say what they, they did to help some of these guys be successful. You know, guys like Anquan Bones, who's been, who goes to uh, Tony Villani up, up in Boca, I mean, ever since his career, he goes there to his day. You know, and so once you kind of find that bread and butter, man, a lot of guys kind of stick with that and kind of go from there. So we'll see if we can do that, you know, later on here. Yeah, it sounds like something we should explore. All right, follow him. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a little biased here because he's one of my my favorite athletes uh, that I've covered right from the very beginning. Always been a great guy, great in the community. Chris, we really appreciate you doing this. Thanks, man. Yep. There's no doubt, man. Thanks a lot. I look forward to talking more about the guys. Uh, we, we're gonna, you know, there's some, there's some, uh, some other guys on this list that I want to kind of hit and get through. Is is gonna have their opportunity to play, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about them down the line. Absolutely, we'll do this again for sure. All right, and you can check out all of our podcasts on iTunes, on Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, and all those other platforms. And again, follow us at Five Reasons Sports.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.